Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 72, I believe. I wanted to say thank you to Megan Long, my co-host's wife, for being on the last episode. And uh, speaking of that co-host, I haven't even brought him in yet. I will now. Josh, my co-host Josh Long, how are you, Josh? You're talking about my wife, and I'm not even here. Yeah, well, now you are, so it's okay. Yeah, I am. I was here before. I was just pretending that I wasn't. It's the theater of the mind. That's what they call it on radio. <laughs> mm-hmm. See, that's the thing. He was here the whole time. He did not just walk in when I when I said his name. This is not like uh, Carson or something. We like should that. start doing it that way. So, like every time you'll say, "Like, hey, I, th- I think I think a friend might swing by." Right. Oh, look, it's Josh Long, and, and then we'll I'll do like I'll put some applause in. We'll do like I'll put shoes on my on my hands, yeah. and I'll do them like they're walking through the room. Oh, some nice foley work. Yeah. That's what podcasts are missing. Yeah, and then have like the creak of a door. Yeah. And the door shuts. They're like, uh oh. It sounds like it's storming outside, and then you get that big metal sheet. And yeah, the sheet metal. Shake it. But uh, anyway, sorry everybody for that. Um, okay, so uh, some announcements real quick before we get into the, uh, the episode. First off, uh, by the time this goes up, you've got a couple more days to vote for us in the podcast awards. Uh, what you can do, you go to podcastawards.com, scroll on down to the religion section, click on more than one lesson. You're going to scroll down further. It will ask for your name and your email address. and uh, Put that in and then you'll click submit. You will then be uh, sent an email asking you to confirm your vote. Go ahead and do that and, and uh, you're good. Uh, and you can do this once a day. So you can do this, uh, I think, by the time this goes up, you can do this three times. Because yeah, the, the last more, day... A lot more times to do this. There's yeah. a lot of time to vote. So get out there and do it. As vote, many times vote as you early can. and vote often. There you go. And uh, I think you can even... I, I think uh, they don't go by name. I think they go by email address. So if you have several email addresses, as I go. do... But, that year, but this year I didn't do that. I did it last <laughs> year, but I just figured like, ah. Eh, I'll just use my normal email address. It'll be fine. So, but yeah, um, like I said, I, I don't think we're going to win because the the listenership for this show is pretty low. But uh, you know, it doesn't hurt to try, and we will let you know when the time comes if we if we got anything or not. Uh, moving on, uh, episode four. I think I don't remember if we no we didn't mention this because it, it hadn't come out yet. Uh, episode four of Josh's web series, The Unemployed Mind, is now available. Uh, you can find that at morethanonelesson.com or theunemployedmind.com. It doesn't matter where you go, you'll find it. It's there and it's ready for video consumption. Indeed. Just uh, soak it in. Enjoy. And audio. I'm sorry, I should yeah. have left that out. Yeah, it's it sounds important. It's got everything. It's got music. It's got it's music. It's got dialogue. It's got laughter. Does it? Well, I mean, you provide the laughter. Right. Yeah. The only thing that's missing 
is you. Oh, man. <laughs> Just plug yourself right in. So uh, so that's episode four called uh, Jeeves and Lester. Jeeves right? and Lester. And uh, that features a guest star performance by uh, Mr. Paul Goebel. The king of who, TV. The king of TV, Paul Goebel. It's entirely possible that you have uh, come to this show as a result of my being on that show uh, because... Paul really likes to make fun of the name of More Than One Lesson, and so uh, so maybe you've you you know about this show from from him. Uh, in which case, uh, welcome. And if you enjoy Paul, head on over and uh, watch The Unemployed Mind. He's got a he, he's he's pretty great in it. He's pretty funny in that episode. He is. I so enjoy him quite a bit. If you're a fan of him and his uh, and his comedy, I think you will I think you'll like it a lot. And then a week from uh, today, the fifth and final episode of the web series will be available uh i don't remember what that one is called but uh but it will feature uh another friend of uh battleship pretension named uh, josh fatum you've seen him on 30 rock and eagle heart and a number of other things uh he's very funny mm-hmm. and that one will be going up uh, next tuesday that one's called apartment hunt apartment hunt so that Absolutely. gives you an idea of what you got to look forward to something with apartments maybe something with hunting it's like the most dangerous game where they, they hunt be. people in apartments. In an apartment. Yeah. I feel like that would be very short. You never know. You have to have a pretty big apartment to take very long to find someone in it if you were trying to hunt them. Well, maybe the hunter becomes the hunted, you know? Maybe. Maybe the person in the apartment grabs a knife or something. But even then, how long can that go on? Not very long, but no. still. Uh, okay, so moving on. Um, but yeah, you can find... You can find all that at uh, morethanonelesson.com or theunemployedmind.com. Uh, there are a couple new uh, articles that should, that should say, by the way, that should tell you something about the website and uh, that we can say like, hey, there's two new articles. Like there's just not a lot of stuff written anymore, uh, partially because if I write something, it's, it's probably for battleship pretension. So sorry mm-hmm. about that. But uh, anyway, the first is an article about uh, Frank Capra's It's a Wonderful Life written by um, a new contributor named uh, Reed Lackey. I met him uh, a couple weeks ago and uh, really uh, got along with him. And so I asked him, you know, if, if ever he wanted to contribute something to the site, we'd, we'd love to post it. And so he recently rewatched It's a Wonderful Life and uh, wrote an article about that that I think is very interesting. So if you've seen, it, uh, if you've seen the movie and you'd... Uh, be interested to hear what uh, what he had to say. Uh, just you can find that at morethanonelesson.com. You can find all this stuff at morethanonelesson.com. I'm going to stop saying that. Uh, and then uh, one of our other writers, Travis Fishburn, has started what will probably be a series. Uh, not a hundred percent sure. I don't want to guarantee that yet. But uh, he uh, wrote an article about uh, the the horror show, uh, The Walking Dead, which I've talked about on, on this show before. Um, and in fact, I talked about last week that uh, that it, second season is much better than the first, and they're into the third season now. I'm all caught up, and it's actually quite good. It's not great; uh, the dialogue is still pretty clunky, but uh, but it's pretty solid. And so he uh, he talks about that. Uh, spoilers, by the way, if you haven't seen if you haven't seen the show or you're not totally caught up on it, uh, you probably don't want to read that. Um, so that that might be that might wind up being a series. Uh, not totally sure. And then the last announcement, sorry everybody, there's a surprising number of them uh, this time around. Um, we uh, will be embarking on a, uh, a monthly newsletter uh, that just kind of lets you know stuff that we have done uh, over the past month, kind of reminds you of, 
uh, things that you can find on the website and, and that sort of thing. So uh, you can go to morethanonelesson.com and there will be a, a button on the side uh, that says subscribe and that will take you to uh, the site where you can uh, subscribe to our newsletter and I think we'll be sending it out at the beginning of every month. Uh, and it kind of just goes over what we've done over the last uh, over the last month. So, and uh, if you subscribe, you're automatically enrolled to uh, to a contest where you'd win a million dollars, right? Um, I mean, if you want to sponsor that contest, no, we, you'll enter the contest by the unemployed mind, not more than one lesson. Here's the thing: you you can enter the contest. There's no million dollars. We'll tell you that right up front. Okay. And there's nothing that says anything about the about the contest, even. But just you know. Might make it a little more exciting if you're if you're entering it thinking, hey, maybe I can win a million dollars. I guess so. Or we could just say like, hey, you know what? Your number, nobody's number came up this time. Yeah, and just perpetually do that. We could because right. we're picking a number that's not like a real number. Yeah, like uh, it's like the three with an exclamation point after it. It's like that doesn't nobody does that one. Is that? Uh, uh, they use an exclamation point in math at some point, and they that's, do. I that's one of those things I don't understand. What I it find means. it very off-putting. Somebody knows what it means. There's no, out there. Why would you ever have an exclamation point in math? It is the, not. It's not an emotional subject. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so, you'd be yeah. excited about math. I mean, some people are. I'm not. But yeah, no, it's. Uh, I get mad at math. Do you? I'm, yeah. I was actually surprisingly good in math. You wouldn't think it, but really. uh, but I was pretty good in like algebra and that sort of thing. Uh, I I didn't take any more classes than I had to because, of course, I went to film school, mm. and uh, I'm good. You don't really need a lot of math in, in film school, but uh, no. But yeah, so back to the uh, back to the newsletter. If you want to subscribe uh, to that, we would uh, certainly appreciate it. So, okay, I think that. Uh, how, many, how long have we been going? We've been going about nine minutes. So, all right, you can't win them all. Uh, <laughs> I always feel I always feel weird about making announcements at, at the top of the show. But we're just we're just right. front loading the end of the episode with uh, with important information. That is true because if there is a if there's an episode of any other show where they have a lot, like a lot of announcements at the end, I'll just be like, okay, I'm done listening. Yeah. So I like to make it something that people can, you know, have to have to get through to get to the the real meat of the episode, and then of course they remember what it is they're listening to, and they're like, ugh, never mind, I'm moving on. They wanted meat instead, right? They wanted actual meat. They were, yeah. They came here thinking they were hungry. If you're looking for meat, you're in the wrong place. Yeah, I mean, like it's meat for your like for your ears. <laughs> Some good ear meat. Yeah. Ugh. I don't I didn't like this at all. You know what? I'm just going to delete everything we just recorded. Welcome to More Than One Lesson, where you can come and get your ear meat. <laughs> There's a t-shirt in there somewhere, but I come don't want to get it. it. So, um, okay. So today, uh, we will be discussing the a movie that came out last year called Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene. Uh, and... I want to start off with uh, a Bible verse, actually, um, and this will kind of give you a sense of what will the, the major thing we'll be discussing uh, in reference to the film. Uh, this is uh, Matthew 7, verses 15 and 16. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will, re- you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So that uh, will be... We'll be uh, saying uh, some other uh, Bible verses later, but that is uh, a big aspect of what this episode is going to be about. So, um, 
so I do have a summary here. Uh, try to keep it pretty short, although you know, and and vague. But come on, like again, if you're listening to this, you've probably seen the movie. Uh, Josh, would you like to read that summary? Do you have it uh, in front of you? I do. It's right here. Okay, you go right ahead. So, for everybody out there, this is the summary for Martha Marcy May Marlene. A young woman named Martha escapes the clutches of a small but committed cult and takes refuge at the home of her sister and brother-in-law. However, she soon finds that, that, though the physical bonds with the cult may be broken, the mental bonds persist. Terrified that the cult will find out where she is, Martha slowly starts to unravel, much to the chagrin of her family, who start to wonder whether she's gone completely insane. Okay. Insane. Insane. In the membrane. Insane Insane in the the brain. brain. There you go. Um... So that's a that's okay. You know what? This is me. I'm not going to go off on a Cypress Hill uh, uh, tangent. So, um, all right. Uh, Martha Marcy May Marlene was one of one of my favorite movies of last year. I found it uh, to be remarkably effective. I did not really know what it was going in. I, I had a general idea. I knew what the story was, mm-hmm. but um, I did not know what the tone of the film was going to be. Um, and it was uh, so. It's written and directed by Sean Durkin. I believe it is. It is his first film. Uh, I'm not uh, now. I'm not sure about that. I think it's his first feature. Yeah. Yeah. Right, I think right, he yeah, had done what I some shorts. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, that is astounding. I think. Yeah. Um, because you know he has such a such a command immediately of yeah. tone. And atmosphere and suspense and tension, mm-hmm. uh, things that are not easy to to recreate in film. Like, I mean, suspense is a very hard thing to do. It requires uh, just a really strong handle on editing, performance, cinematography, and music. If there, I remember the music. There not being a whole lot of it in the film, but uh, but yeah, he manages to juggle it all so that you are pretty much on the edge of your seat and really paranoid pretty much the whole film. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and uh, I believe you and I saw it together. Is that correct? Did we? Yeah, I think we might have. And then afterwards, uh, you, me, and a uh, friend of the show, Jason Eakin, uh, I think we just sat and talked about it for like 45 minutes. And uh, <laughs> it's just a film that uh, we'll, we'll get into a little bit more detail in a moment, but it's just a film in general that... I just really responded to because, uh, as I've said on the show before, I like when I like when a movie really puts you in the mindset of its characters, mm-hmm. um, and just uh, but doesn't do it artificially. Just really tries to get you in the emotional, in the same emotional state and mental state as as they are, um, so that you can sympathize with them. And I feel like that's what this movie does. And so, um, so yeah, I really love it. There are some people that don't. There are some people that actually uh, found it to be rather shallow because they say, you know, ultimately, what is it saying? And I could, I guess I could see that because it does not come – there is no concrete ending. There is no definite conclusion. Uh, it is left a little open-ended. Um, but that's that doesn't bother me. Um no, and I, I feel like saying that it, you know, what is it, asking what is it saying is expecting it to do more than I think the film's required to do. Mm-hmm. Like, not every film has to give you a a life lesson, you know, spelled out. It's yeah. just kind of a 
Yeah, and it's an exploration of this woman's experiences and what she's gone through and where she is now, where it, where it has put her now. Yeah, and the nature of of what those experiences are, which again we'll get to in a moment. But uh, there is no definite end. There, the 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 ending of the film could be seen as somewhat hopeful. Mm-hmm. Could be. It could also be seen as <laughs> the exact opposite of that. Hopeless. Yeah, <laughs> but. Uh, but either way, like, this is going to continue for her um, in some way, shape, or form. It might not be as dire as it is throughout the whole film. Uh, it might be, in fact, worse. But uh, but it's not going to stop just because the movie happens to be over. And I, I like that the film understands that. I, I, yeah. I do. Don't get me wrong. I like a nice, solid ending. But I also like it when you believe that the characters will continue uh, after the credits are over. Um, yeah, and this is the sort of movie where that's, I think that's part of the, its point, mm-hmm. is that it's not over for her, and maybe it never will be. So, um, so I've spoken uh, in generalities about uh, what I like about the film as far as its, its tone. I'll get to the acting in a moment, because uh, I feel like that's a way to se- really sell uh, a film like this. But, uh, but what did you think of the film? Obviously, you, you enjoy it um, mm. as much as the film can be enjoyed, but you like it. Yeah, I think it was, it was also one of my favorites for, from last year. I don't know. I don't remember exactly where it placed on my top ten list, which is really the most important uh, indicator of how good a movie was last year. But uh, hmm? Moneyball was the best one. Oh, was it? Yeah. Tree Life was all right. It wasn't number one on my list, so I don't I don't know how that could have happened. Well, you know, probably a mix up. Must be somewhere. Some lines got crossed somewhere. Anyway, um, yeah, I, I I liked it a lot. I felt like um, it was a you know I, I liked it both in the story in that the story I think it's told in an interesting way because it's it's. Uh, told out of sequence um and i don't know the uh the sort of the depth of the the psychology in the film like what because it deals so much with what's happening to her mentally and like what what her mental state is and what her mental state would have had to get to in order for um her to continue to, to first just start living in this cult and then to continue living with this cult. Right. Um, so th- th- those are some like major, major things that have to happen to this character. And you see her both as a normal person and as someone who is swept up in the cult, you know, one, one before the other. Mm-hmm. And on the one hand, you think how could anyone ever do this and then the other on the other the more you watch the movie you can see you can understand yeah what draws her in um a lot of it i'm sure when we talk about performances we'll talk about john hawks because yeah. his his performance and how magnetic he is sort of he's able to embody the type of person who can who can bring someone in to something so horrible and make it sound sound great yeah and I also, I just love the way that it's shot. It's shot in a very, um, it's shot in a very realistic way without being too, uh, too obviously cinema verite, you know, that mm-hmm. it's not, I think most of it was 
shot handheld, if I'm remembering correctly, yeah, but I, right. I don't think it draws any attention to that. Um, it uses a lot of long takes. Um, it's... I don't know if this is too focused on the performances, if this is the reason that they do this, but um, there are a lot of shots where, where you don't... You don't even actually get like a good close up of some of the main actors. You just mm-hmm. some the whole scene might play out in a couple different wide shots, which is uh antithetical to the to your normal Hollywood movies, mm-hmm. but still really works well for this sort of thing. And, and you're engaged enough that you don't yeah. you don't care. Like I, I think I think there might be like a little bit of a shift in filmmaking might be coming where you don't have to have the, you know, master single single for every right. single movie. Like that's kind of the way blockbusters go. Cause you just got to see everything. Um, well, and it, there is a certain, not to be cynical, but I'm about to be, I think realistically cynical. There is the attitude of like, Hey, we're paying a lot of money for these stars. Yeah. People came to see the stars. We're going to. We're not going to shoot them in a wide shot. Yeah, you know, we need to give. We need to, their face to be right, just huge there up on the screen. Yeah. Um, like I remember there being one uh, one pivotal scene in Martha Marcy Made Marlene where there's a there's a uh, it's a dark room at night and there's a like dark shadow right on the main character's face mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, through most of the scene. And I feel like a, in a in a film where they were too worried about everyone looking pretty, they would, you know, they would change that and like, oh, get her out of the dark. Make sure she's got a light shine on her face and makeup so she looks beautiful. But and it is, I mean, it's an independent film, so that he does have the freedom to do that. And yeah. is, you know, there are no big actors uh, in the film. I mean, at that like. You know, John, like probably the biggest actor in it is John Hawks. Although, you know, there's Sarah Paulson and there's uh, Hugh Dancy. Like, but none of them are like. If I said, "Hey, who's Hugh Dancy?" People would not immediately say, "Oh, clearly it's the guy from." Uh, and I can't even name any uh, immediately, though I can picture him in, in a number of films. Um, well, now I got to look it up. John Hawks. He, he I think he's. Uh, he's got you know. He's Winter's a hey, it's hey, that guy. Yeah. You know where it's just you've seen him in a million things. Although he's probably on his way up a little bit more. Oh, I no think, question. I think before long he's going to yeah. be... And I do think he's probably going to be nominated for a Best Actor Oscar this year. And at that point, I think he will become somebody who is uh, who shows up a lot. Yeah. Um, and maybe can even uh, carry a movie. Maybe become a Philip Seymour Hoffman or somebody like yeah, that. Yeah, or a Paul Giamatti or, yeah. or one of those. Yeah. Um, and that's great because I, I'm, always, I'm always a big fan of when, when an, uh, a character actor who's been just kind of knocking around Hollywood for years... Uh, just turning in solid work, but almost always being not necessarily outshined or outshone uh, by other people, but just, uh, you know, for example, you haven't seen Deadwood, but he plays a a great character on Deadwood and does a great job, but it's an ensemble cast, and there are Mm -hmm. people who, by the nature of their character, are required to be bigger, and bigger will almost always get your attention. Um, You know, and so that doesn't mean he's not turning in great work, Mm -hmm. uh, and it doesn't mean he's not dependable. It's precisely because he is so dependable that those actor, those other actors are able to be as big as they are. Yeah. Because um, he was kind of a, a grounding influence in, in the film, uh, in, the, in the series. But uh, So Hugh Dancy was in Black Hawk Down. Okay. And Ella Enchanted. Oh, yeah. And uh, King Arthur. 
I believe he was in one called Hysteria recently. He was in that. I don't know what that is. But. It is uh, about the creation of the vibrator. Oh. Oh, good. Yeah. I did not see that film. He's also in a movie called Evening, which I think is a terrible movie. I saw that movie in the theaters. Yeah, I didn't see it, but it, it has one of those... Uh, it has a quality of, like, just this very pleasant thing that, uh, you know, your mom would enjoy. It's got so many good actors in it, and yet... It's like the best exotic Marigold Hotel, which uh, I only yeah, hear maybe. bad things about, but it's got just a, a bunch of wonderful actors in. Hmm. And just waste them in, in nothing roles. That's but, too bad. Um, so, but anyway, back uh, to how, John how, Oh, that's right, because we were talking about, about the cast and, and just... You know, not having big stars, um, it being an independent film, like it does give the it, it gave uh, Sean Durkin the freedom to make the film that neat that had to be made uh, because of those long shots and then the way he tells the story. Because you're right, it is it's not told in sequence. Um, it's it's like I, I I like movies that jumble up time, but in a way that suggests memory um they don't do it just for the sake of creating a mystery they do it as a as a way to put us inside the mind not merely suggest the emotion but put us inside the mind of its of their main character Mm -hmm. and so without even really making a big deal of it you know it's just very matter of fact and by the way the more you do that the more um disorienting it can be which puts you even more in the position of the main character. Yeah, and which there's so, some really good scenes where they do that in in this film where oh, yeah. you're they, they they use their transitions very well. So you you don't realize you're in a transition oftentimes mm-hmm. before you suddenly see characters that couldn't be there in one particular timeline and you're like, right. "Oh, okay, th- so this is where we are." But it it puts you kind of back on your heels a little bit yeah. trying to catch up. And and with the and so there's a there's a certain intangibility to the film, not merely through the editing, but also through, like you said, the use of wide shots and shadows, and just you know, you, you desperately. We talked about this a little bit with our uh, uh, Man for All Seasons episode. That mm-hmm. uh, you know, at the end of the film, when Sir Thomas More is giving his his you know not his not his last words, but his big final speech, making a, a last statement, uh, that they don't shoot it in close up; they shoot it far away, and often there are people kind of blocking the camera a little bit and you you want to get in close you instinctively want to see his face but you can't and in that moment i realized like oh i'm a spectator that's all i am Mm -hmm. like we like we are witnessing history but we're not witnessing the way we wish we we could you know we want to be there and even though we are there we're not a participant we are removed but still seeing something uh you know seeing history in the making and so, in the same way, I feel like, you know, though we are seeing the, the, the cult from the main character's point of view, and she was, you know, deep in it, um, as viewers, we want to know more of how it works. Uh, we want to know who these people are, how they could get involved with such a thing, how the, the head of the cult could even make something like this happen, mm-hmm. and why. We want to know more. But we're only ever given so much information. We're never given all the information. And so by shooting in wide shot, it just sort of always keeps us outside. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, and it can add 
it, it can create a certain sense of frustration, but I feel like the best kind of frustration, mm-hmm. the kind of frustration that makes you like almost lean forward because you you want to get as close as possible, but the yeah. film's not letting you in because the cult's not letting you in. You haven't you haven't earned your way into this into the cult the way yeah. some of these other characters have. And the cult is there's a lot of points where they're literally trying to keep people out who they feel like don't have their best interests at hand yeah in mind which is a weird thing to think of yeah um but yeah uh so i do want to go into uh some of the uh specific elements um specific uh, the performances uh, specifically we've already talked about cinematography the editing that kind, that kind of thing um so martha is played by uh elizabeth olsen uh one of you know when you when you Think of the Olsons. You think of the Olsen twins, and she is, in fact, yes, related She's one to of them. them. Yeah, I know. It's it's weird. She's the third Olsen twin. For some she reason, she was never like around all yeah. that other time. But uh, yeah, and I don't think I really knew anything uh, about her. Um, and then she just sort of bursts onto the scene with this um, just astounding, vulnerable, fearless performance. Um. I just last last year was a great year for female lead performances. That's true. There were a lot of great kind of breakout performances too. Like when you like when you look at, uh, I know that as we've said before, like the Oscars aren't don't have to be the only like arbiter of like what is good and what isn't. But like mm-hmm. if you look at like you know the Oscars uh, major performances were were left out uh such as like tilda swinton and we need to talk about kevin uh mm-hmm. kirsten dunst and melancholia mm-hmm. and and elizabeth olsen um any one of them i think could could have been in there but i think maybe because of the type of movie that they were in mm-hmm. um it just is not really on the radar yeah and so um but yeah elizabeth olsen's performances you know there are times when you're extremely you know sympathetic towards her like as she is starting to think hey maybe this cult isn't totally what it should be Mm -hmm. um and then in in her relationship with her sister played by sarah paulson who i'll get to in a moment um you know her sister's a little judgmental at times and you can see you can see why martha maybe wanted to sort of reject certain values and this Mm -hmm. cult just fed right into that yeah um and so, or one could say fed off of it. And, uh, and so there's a vulnerability there, but also even if, even when she's gotten away from the cult and she's with her sister and her brother-in-law and she's, you know, she's still dealing with some of the demons that come with, with the, for lack of a better term, the brainwashing of, of being in the cult. Um, even as she's trying to kind of get away from that, she does still have this, uh, not merely contrarian attitude, but like just she finds herself instinctively spouting some of the philosophies of the cult to yeah. her her sister and brother-in-law who are trying to help her. Yeah, and this is after the point where she has, of her own will and, you know, at, 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 uh, at her own risk, run away from the cult. Mm-hmm. And yet some of that is ingrained in her enough that she yeah. still, you know, when it comes up, she reacts violently. Yeah. And who knows, maybe some of that was there before. You know, maybe she still, maybe she was something of a contrarian and yeah. that, that's why she was a part of this thing. Yeah, maybe so. Um, and also, I mean, there are moments where, you know, she gets naked um, because of the nature, the nature of the cult is very, uh, I would not go so far as say it was a sex cult, but that played a big role in it. Yeah, it's, 
the the uh, the normal social boundaries are not present. Right. Um, and so it it just kind of changes the way she thinks to the point where she she doesn't understand anymore yeah. that that's unusual. Yeah. So when I say it's a fearless performance, I mean I mean it's vulnerable in every way you can think of. I mean she, you know, she's physically exposed, she's emotionally exposed, she's willing to, you know, play a character who is not always likable. Um, you know, uh, and even when she is sympathetic and she does kind of crazy things, you just think like you, the audience member are often in the same position as her sister and you find yourself exasperated by her and just being like, I want to help her, but man, she's making it very difficult. Yeah. And now I just don't know what to do. And I, I kind of, she's more of a hassle than anything else. Yeah. It's a lot more complicated. You know, a movie like this could just turn her into a victim. Like all, mm-hmm. all of this is, Oh, she got in a cold and aren't, aren't things terrible. But, um, it's a lot more complex than that because you don't. I think you, yeah, you feel yourself in the sister's place. You don't know what to do with her. You don't know how um, to categorize her. You don't know mm-hmm. how to how to feel about her. Yeah, and that I don't know. That's something that makes you think. And so, um, so her performance is, is wonderful. Um, and you you need there's a lot of great supporting performances which I'll get to in a second, but. Uh, but you need a strong performance to anchor this f- movie because the movie is built around this character. Mm. And if you don't have a performance to sort of sort of lead the charge from a cinematography point of view, from an editing point of view, like you just then it, then the film is all style. Yeah. Um, and trying to make up for a, a stiff uh, and unsympathetic uh, lead performance. So um, so I mentioned Sarah Paulson who plays her sister. And I've, I've, I, there's a character that you'll see pop up in movies like this, um, in which it's this, the sister or the brother who's trying to be supportive, really, and, but just is at the end of their rope. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a movie called, that I don't think is available on DVD, which is a shame because it's a wonderful film, called A Thousand Clowns. Oh, yeah. And it's got uh, Jason Robards. Um, as, it's based on a play. It is based on a play, yes. Um, and Jason Robards plays uh, a character who's like a free spirit um, to, to a point where he's kind of annoying at times. Uh, but we, the audience, only deal with him for a couple hours. His brother has had to deal with him his whole life. And his mm. brother is played by Martin Balsam, who, you know, if you've seen Martin Balsam, you know that he's just the type of actor that just is a steadfast, normal guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Balsam actually won Best Supporting Actor for that movie. Hmm. Um and uh, and even I don't remember who plays the uh, the sister in Melancholia, but it's a similar type of role. Just uh, and then you get something like uh, a movie that's not very good called Mister Saturday Night um, with Billy Crystal as like this uh, this old timey comedian. But David Paymer plays his brother, who's also I think like his manager or his agent or something. It's been a while since I've seen it. Okay. And he's trying to be support. Like you you see this character a lot. Yeah. Um, and it's because it's a, and it, it's often a sibling. Sometimes it's a spouse or or a friend or something like that. Um, and they often that that character is often very difficult to play as well because you're not the main character, mm-hmm. and so the audience and sympathy is not immediately going to be with you, especially if like the character of Lucy, you're fighting the main character, uh, sometimes. And like, yeah. 
you know, Lucy is very much establishment. She's bought into a lot of uh, cultural ideas, which is, you know, it's fine. Uh, but she represents a lot of what Martha's fighting against and is maybe a little rigid. And uh, yeah. and so we don't our sympathy is not necessarily with her. And especially because she doesn't know what Martha's been through. We do, but she doesn't. And so when she tries to understand, but she can't. Uh, sometimes it makes her look it makes her look even more out of touch, yeah. which does not make her sympathetic at all. Right, but I think it does a good job still to to show us how difficult the situation is for her, mm-hmm. um, because it allows you you get enough to put yourself kind of in her shoes and think, you know, if I had a brother or sister who had kind of maybe gone off the deep end a little bit. I hadn't yeah. seen him for a long time. Uh, she was clearly kind of an irresponsible person for right. a while. So, I mean, imagine if you had a ne'er-do-well sister or brother you hadn't seen for years, shows up on your doorstep and is like, had some kind of trouble. Yeah. Um, that she's not talking about, by right, the way. Right. She won't tell you anything about it. So it, it could be anything. Um, and it's easy. It would be easier for a character for a character like the sister to just say she's done something stupid and yeah. is now in some kind of trouble for it. But like, why me? Why, why do I have to be the one to, yeah. to help her? And it's not that she doesn't want to help her at all. It's just, uh, this could, in her mind, this could be just one more thing. Yeah. As opposed to maybe the defining thing of Martha's life. Right. And it speaks to, you know, in the same way, like you said, Martha could just be a victim. Mm hmm. But it, but she isn't. Mm-hmm. There are times when she is hard to like, yeah. almost impossible to like, but yeah. that doesn't mean you lose sympathy for her. And in the same way, like, Lucy could have just been the person who doesn't get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's but the film is more mature than that. It understands that there's, that people, there's a lot of different sides to them. Lucy lo- does love her sister and feels responsibility for her, but right. when you feel responsibility for somebody that is kind of irresponsible themselves, you, there is going to be some resentment there. Yeah. Um, and so she's not wholly negative. She's not wholly positive. I'd say she's more positive than negative, but you know, a, a lesser film would have just had Martha be completely in the right and her sister completely on the, in the wrong until the end when she finally understands. And then she's, and then she's completely in the right. Yeah. Like it's just, and, and then they hug each other. And, right. Fade out. Um, and fight against the, the bad guys exactly they call the cops or something anyway um and then uh and there's an obligatory scene where you you introduce a lawyer who's never been on the movie before (laughs) and she's on the phone saying hello martha the cult is destroyed glad to give you the good news that's it uh and so I will. So I'll, I'll move on to uh, Hugh Dancy very briefly because um, he's very much an extension of of Lucy. Um, yeah, where he it's and it, but his character is interesting because he is kind of a yuppie, mm-hmm. but he's a he's a genuinely good guy. He wants to do right by his wife and by his sister in law, who he doesn't really know. Yeah, very well at all, if at all. Um, yeah, I, I don't totally remember recall. if he had ever met her before, but yeah, I think he hasn't. Yeah, um, and so he's trying to do the right thing and trying to be a nice guy and trying to be under you know, but he's even more removed because mm-hmm. now it's basically to him a complete stranger that his that his wife happens to love. Yeah, um, but there's there's some there's some wonderful moments where like for example, because uh, they they uh, are at uh, like a house on the lake, and so he takes Martha out on a boat. Uh, 
and they're just they're just out on the boat and they're like drinking beers and stuff and then he like tries to like teach her like how to steer the boat and stuff like that and there are moments when you're just like is he like making a pass at her like what's he yeah what's he doing and it's very you're initially suspicious of him it's entirely possible that he is but he also could not at all. Mm-hmm. Like, he could just be trying to be nice yeah. to this woman. But the the film has done such a good job of putting you in her mindset. And she comes from a cult where if a guy is make, if you think a guy is making a pass at you, he probably is and, yeah. is, about to t- and is about to have sex with you. Yeah. Like, uh, it's just everybody in the cult is just so sexualized. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and when she escapes, it gives her sort of an inherent distrust of... Of just men in general, I think, yeah. and so you, it puts you a little bit in her mindset where you, uh, you, it would be consistent with the rest of the film if maybe that doesn't even exactly happen. Like right. that doesn't happen the way that we see it, but she perceives it that way. Yeah, and so we feel that uneasiness that she undoubtedly feels in this situation, regardless of what's actually happening. Yeah, if the film like suddenly were, to, if if somebody were to make a second film. And it's all, it's all the same events, but it's told from the point of view of Hugh Dancy's uh, character named mm-hmm. Ted. And it's from his point of view. That same scene could be seen completely innocently. Yeah. But but this girl here is acting pretty strange, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and that's that's part of the brilliance of the movie is that this that you become as paranoid as as Martha. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that brings us uh, around to there are, there are other characters that are that are important but I think it's really just uh, the main four and the fourth is of course John Hawks as the character Patrick who is the head of the cult and we've already talked about him a little bit but mm-hmm. uh, yeah it's there are, there are types of characters that just sort of invite you to ham it up mm-hmm um, as an actor, you know, yeah, um, and cult leader is definitely one of them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But uh, and and oddly enough, there was another movie that, uh, called Red State, uh, written and directed by uh, Kevin Smith, which I saw and liked, uh, if for no other reason because it's so not Kevin Smith like. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Michael, oh shoot, Michael Parks uh, plays the head of a uh, not. I guess you could call it a cult. Yeah, it's probably a cult. <laughs> um, but a uh, a specific church uh, that's like the uh, Westboro Baptist kind of thing, okay. and you, I went in expecting this fire and brimstone, over the top type performance, and it is, but not in the way you think it would be. It's not loud. It's quiet. It's calming. It gives you the impression. It gives you the impression of nuance, and that's exactly how um, how John Hawks is. Mm-hmm. You, you, he's very soothing. And yeah. he and calming and relaxing and you feel for the almost for the first time in your life you feel comfortable and when he says you know his philosophies he says it with such confidence mm-hmm. um, but not ego mere, yeah. merely confidence and with such peace that you're like well clearly this guy's got it worked out yeah um, I don't know what did what did you think yeah I, I feel the same way he's just so I think I used the word magnetic before but it's there's something about him that seems like he would absolutely draw in broken people yeah um and he it, it's i feel like this is one of those roles that it's it's hard to even know how difficult that is because you have to walk such a fine line because you have to be believable that you would draw people in but at the same time you have to be <laughs> a little crazy i mean you, you have yeah. to be 
it has to be someone who thinks that they are the best thing for these people and like yeah. thinks that they are helping these people by by creating this environment for them and thinks that it's it's totally okay for, to to take advantage of them in any way that you see fit. Yeah. And but not be like a I don't know. I was going to say not be a sociopath, but maybe he is a sociopath, yeah. you know? And it's just, if, if maybe the fine line is being a sociopath and seeming like the, the most caring person you can imagine. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's, there's a lot of complexity to that. Yeah. And it would have been easy for him to seem like just a huckster, like somebody who, yeah. who recognizes like, all right, I, I get quite a, I get a lot of power out of this. Mm-hmm. Um, albeit over a small group of people in a pretty low technology, uh, area. So like, not that technology equals power, but just like there's his, his level of power is pretty low stakes in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, but he does have power over people, which can give, give you a bit of an ego boost. And then also he gets pretty, he pretty much gets sex whenever he wants it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so it'd be easy for him to be like, all right, this is working out pretty well for me. And all I got to do is sound like I know what I'm talking about. I don't think that's a, a thought that comes into his head. I think he is very aware that he benefits a lot. Yeah. Um, but I think he would probably say that he deserves that benefit, mm-hmm. not something that he is tricking people out of. Yeah. Um, it's just one of those things that like, you know, it, it's possible that, I don't know. It's, it, and that's, that's one of the, it, the characters written very well, but also it's played very well because you don't totally know how much he buys into himself, but you know, he does a little bit. Yeah. Um, even if so much, even if it's such that like, you know, we all have thoughts that maybe are a little strange and then we dis- and then we dismiss them. Mm-hmm. And the thoughts could be like in regards to ourselves, like uh, even if it's something like, eh, I'm pretty great. Mm-hmm. Now, you don't just dis- you may not dismiss that right away, but you'd be like, eh, but I'm not the best. Yeah. You know, and maybe he just doesn't take that extra step. And he's surrounded himself with people who are constantly affirming him and constantly yeah. telling him that he is great. Yeah. And, you know, he, he believes it. Yeah. So it's a, it's a wonderful, um, and what's more, I, I like this a lot. He's not in the movie very much. Like, mm. as far as like, he doesn't have a lot of scenes that are about him. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, it's oddly enough. Oh, Josh, watch what I'm going to do. Oh, I'm excited. Okay. Um, I mentioned last episode that George Clooney's character, he doesn't show up in the movie very much. It's it's pretty much about all of his his aides and his uh, assistants and that sort of thing. Uh, and then he shows up and and it's almost like ever and it's almost like he's a celebrity even though all these people are working for him and working uh you know, working to make sure that that he gets what what he wants and what he, and what they feel he should have. Um but he doesn't show up very much. So when he does show up the people are like, oh, this guy that we've been working for, uh, he's here now. This is very exciting. And in the same way, Patrick is, is – is, I kind of got that same vibe from him. Like, It's like if, if this guy – it's like if he talks to you, like, oh, he's, that's, he's that's talking special. to me. Yeah. This, is, this is the guy who's in charge of everything, mm-hmm. and he's talking to me. That's pretty exciting. And so um, – and, and so – one of the things that I wanted to talk about this episode is uh, as sort of as an extension of last week's episode that like when you 
when you idolize somebody, you know, as as we sometimes do with political figures and that sort of thing, then uh, we're we're almost sort of inviting them to maybe take advantage of us, mm-hmm. uh, even if they're aware that that's what they're doing or not. Um, you know, if there's no accountability there, then pretty soon the person will stop holding themselves accountable as well. But uh, and I think maybe that's that's a good way to get into the uh, some of the theme a little bit here. Um, so we uh, we mentioned we we talked about uh, Matthew seven verses fifteen through sixteen. Um, earlier in the show, uh, and it's a verse all about false prophets and wanting to keep an eye out for them and, and all that sort of thing. Um, and this is a big topic, and so I want to be careful that we don't uh, get too big with it. Um, what I what I wanted to focus on a little bit more was the idea of of taking advantage of not not merely like the oppressed or the weak or the vulnerable or you know whatever um but just what what our responsibility as christians is to that group of people uh it's i don't know it it the more i started thinking about this the bigger it got uh, in my mind, and so uh, I I did not realize when we when we started talking about this how uh, high ambition it was, um, but uh, yeah, I wanted this to be sort of a, a discussion about putting our trust in people, uh, but then also the more the more vulnerable like one could i don't know the 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 meek the those who mourn those who hunger and thirst for righteousness those who are poor in spirit just to name a few um you know and just and our responsibility to them uh and i'll start out with this so uh a few uh, i guess about a year and a half ago i went back to my church in missouri and i gave a talk that was supposed to be like 15 minutes wound up being about 30, but that's all right. Cause they gave me, they gave me free reign to talk as long as I wanted. Um, so listeners of this show shouldn't be surprised. Sounds familiar. Yeah. And so, uh, so basically what I, I talked about, um, the idea of our Christianity in Los Angeles, um, because you know, when you live in Southern Missouri, not to imply that people who live in Southern Missouri are never going to leave or, or visit anywhere else. But I, just knowing the people that I know there, there are certain impressions in the Christian community of what Los Angeles is, what California mm-hmm. in general is. Um, and what, and it's sort of like irredeemable, unsavable. Babylon. Babylon. Sodom and Gomorrah, that sort of thing. Um, and so I wanted to talk about that and just say I, I, I'm much more inclined to think of it as Nineveh, uh, which is a place that God has a heart for, but usually – it's our own pride and our own judgment that keeps us from from going there and Mm -hmm. and ministering to to those people. But one of the things that I mentioned is that when I I moved out here, you know, there is an assumption, and I I totally bought into it, and it's the assumption of big cities in general and and certain communities, uh, but there's something about Los Angeles and maybe New York and a couple other places in this country at least, um, that... uh, that it's it's like atheist agnostic. They're not really interested in Christianity in general. Uh, they're only uh, they only condemn it, and they're only looking to to tear into it and that sort of thing. And and you know, I'm I'm friends with uh, 
a number of people for whom that is very much true. Um, but I, I have been surprised by how many people I've met out here that are that are not uh, Christian but are interested and are very. It's not so much that they're open to the idea, but that they're they're not nearly as judgmental as as you think they would be. Mm-hmm. And so that's on me for prejudging what somebody might might think. Yeah. Um, you know, and and even you know, listeners to this show. I mean, this show has a a, a good number of non Christian listeners, and it surprises me. And I, yeah. you know, I regularly feel like I'm sorry. I I feel like you get nothing out of this, <laughs> but. Um, but one thing that I that I said to my my church is that there are people that are searching for answers for whatever that for whatever reason it might be that you know they might be wounded people um, they might be broken people or they might just be curious you know it doesn't have to be something overtly negative but if we in the church do not provide them not merely with answers but also with compassion compassion then they'll go somewhere that does yeah. You know, and if you if they find somebody like Patrick from Martha Marcy May Marlene, you know, if they find someone like him, oh, absolutely! Like if you yeah. if you if you if you had let's 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 go let's let's go with our uh, our theory here that Martha actually was uh, before she got involved with the cult um, that she was kind of a contrarian. Uh, and that she was sort of anti-establishment and maybe kind of a pain to her sister and, and kind of maybe a little self-righteous at times. Yeah. Um, you know, I've I've been a part of the church long enough to have seen plenty of people, uh, including my own brother, um, you know, who were raised in the church, and then they start to have questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the questions – but the questions are not answered not that they're not answered well, but that they're not answered in a way that that suggests compassion. It's more yeah. they're answered in a way more like, "Hey, stop asking questions." Yeah. You know, it just is. Yeah. Stop being a jerk. You know, it seems to be the general attitude, and so that sort of then causes more uh, resentment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so let's let's go ahead and say that that Martha is sort of that. Um, not necessarily raised in the church, but uh, whenever she has doubts about the establishment, and let's face it, at this point, Christianity is the establishment religion in this country. Um, not established as far as a, as far as a government uh, attitude, but like just yeah. it is the predominant religion in this country. And yeah. so, um, so let's say she expressed doubts about that and got people who said, "Stop saying that." And so then she just feels like she doesn't belong. And then she finds this guy who says, you don't belong, you belong here. Yeah. Don't you worry. And just welcomes her in and just set, and just has gives the impression of being compassionate, that he is there for her. Yeah. And it's something that no one else has done. And so why shouldn't she join this cult? You know, it's, I mean, I'm sure she starts out with doubts and a certain degree of cynicism. And... He addresses them and says, I understand why you might think that, but hey, we're just here because we love each other and, you know, all these all these uh, very good-sounding things. And so I guess that's where I wanted to start is that, you know, people wonder, like, why does – why do people join cults? And I don't want this to be a, a, a treatise on cults, but yeah. I, wanna, I want it to turn into, like, why do people trust – 
maybe why do they trust too much like the pe- like people that that really do not have their best interests at heart yeah um well, i think it's it's we kind of want to talk about the the human condition in the sense that people people are looking for a place where they belong people want to find a place where they where they're welcomed where they you know where others treat them as if they matter or others treat them with with compassion i think that's mm-hmm. a i think that's a, a an inherent uh desire in people and so if uh you know if people aren't finding it in their maybe in their homes maybe in their churches uh you know maybe in their you know you know whatever whatever group you're in mm-hmm. um if you're not finding that then you may be looking for for somewhere else to to fill that desire and so i want to uh, i'll i'll go through um a number of verses right now that uh talk to us about uh our responsibility to the poor and the oppressed and and that sort of thing um so let's see here i want to make sure that i've got all these right um okay so we're going to go first with uh matthew 5 verses 3 through 6 uh this is part of uh, uh the Beatitudes, but it's not all of them. It's the the first section there. And I made reference to it earlier, as, as I'm sure you can tell. Um, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Um, you know, it's interesting because this is the beginning of this section Um of uh, the Beatitudes, like it starts with the people that uh, that so desperately need um, love and compassion and forgiveness and encouragement. Like it starts with them, um, because that is that is often who Jesus chose to surround himself with, um, and. We'll we'll mention another another few, and then I want to address a, a possible objection that somebody might have to what I am saying. Um, let's go with uh, Romans twelve, verses fourteen through sixteen. Do you want to read that? Yeah. Um, so that here is bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Okay, so. In this, you have, you know, basically treating everyone the same, but but also going out of its way, you know, rejoice with those who rejoice. That's a little easier. Yeah. Although, of course, there's also the the concept of envy. And if there's somebody who things are going, you know, stuff is going well for them. And I know that my, my natural tendency is just like, oh, things are going well for you. Good for you. <laughs> I guess I'll just go screw myself. Um and so this says, no, be happy for people that are that are happy. That's great. But then also mourn for those who, who mourn. Uh, mourn with those who mourn. Pardon me. Mm-hmm. And then also be willing to associate with people of low position. And that's something that uh, is not... It, in theory, it's something that people say. Uh, you know, it's like, oh, that sounds really good. But I feel like people don't often, don't often do that. Um, okay, and then uh, I'll say this last one. Uh, Isaiah 1, verse 17. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. 
take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. Uh, now, the fatherless and uh, widows uh, in the cultural context of the Bible, they were not necessarily outcasts, but they just they, they had no power in society. You know, you were defined by your family, more specifically the men in your family. Mm. And so if there were, like, not unlike if you were parents who had no sons, then your line was only going to go so far and you were seen as not having any real capital. Um, and in the same way, if you're, fa- you know, you were sometimes, you know, like you're Josh, son of, what's your dad's name? David. You're Josh, son of David, and I'm Tyler, son of Kevin. Like, that's not unlike in Lord of the Rings, you know, people, mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of, they were identified by themselves, but also their father. So if you were a kid who did not have parents, then who were you? Nobody. You serve no purpose. And of course, yeah. women had almost no power in this culture. And then women who maybe did have a husband and so were defined through him. And then the husband is gone. Uh, not only did they have, at some point they had cultural relevance and then it's been taken away from them like that there's something very cruel about that yeah. and this says to defend those people and comfort them and seek seek out uh you know associate with people of low position and these are people in a very low position uh, as far as society so the bible says for us to seek out these people and comfort them and be there for them in whatever way they may need now, Josh and I talked about this uh, as a possibility. It's, it's entirely possible that some of you are thinking this. Some of you might think that I've, everything we just said and what we've been talking about for the past few minutes is exactly the type of thing that Patrick from Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene might have sort of said to himself, that I will be there for the oppressed, I will be there for the the people that society has cast off. And so really in the end, what is the difference between, and I I mentioned earlier that like Jesus chose to associate with the people that society had said was not, you know, we're not good enough. And so really when it comes down to it, what is the difference between Jesus and Patrick? What is the difference between a modern day pastor and Patrick? Um, What is the difference between a cult and Christianity? Mm -hmm. That's a, you know, it's a good question because, it's if you're outside you know if you're outside a cult it's either it's easy to look at the cult and say oh those people are idiots yeah in the same way if you're outside of really any belief system and you're looking in on it it's possible to look to say well that's really stupid and you and i have been christian the bulk of our lives Mm -hmm. and so we've been in this and so i you know many times when someone says uh you know the bible says that and it's like well that's not what that means you know Mm -hmm. like I say that with a certain degree of confidence because I've associated with Christians and I've probably studied that passage and I know maybe some cultural context. Like, yeah. But at the same time, it's, you know, you could go to somebody, you know, you could go to Patrick and say, well, you know, one of the rules of the of this group is this, and that doesn't make a lot of sense. And then he could say, well, you're just not taking it the right way. Yeah. You know, like it's, and, and, uh, in the movie, uh, in the uh, terrible documentary Religious, um, which is how I believe that's, I think that's how I refer to it now, as if that is, a, uh, the ca- that's the category. And uh, if you go to Blockbuster, if any exist anymore, uh, there's the documentary section, then and there's, there's the, the terrible, terrible documentary. documentary section where you will find movies like, uh, like Expelled and Religious and all the movies about, of Michael Moore, except for Roger and Me. Um, and Canadian Bacon. 
That's not a documentary. Well, you know what? It's a terrible documentary. <laughs> that's, that's true. <laughs> Precisely because there. it has actors and, and a script. None of that ever actually happened. But uh, but as as Bill Maher talks about in Religious, and it's, I think it's a legitimate point. Like you know, um, you know, there are plenty of people that make fun of Scientology, but really, how is that any more outlandish? than Christianity. I mean, we talk about people rising from the dead. We talk about any number of miracles, and yet, you know, and so that's very strange to believe in these days. And so, um, so what, sep- what separates us from, you know, what separates Jesus from Patrick? Now, I know my answer, uh, but what do you think? <laughs> I can say mine if, if you want some time to think. I, I realize I'm kind of springing it on you. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, fine, I should go? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I would say, because there is a thing here, uh, one of the verses talks about, um, by their fruit you will recognize them. And I think the Bible talks about fruit a lot, which is, you know, if you, you know, a, a tree bearing fruit. Um, and that is like proof, like positive proof of somebody's actions, uh, of somebody's, uh, motives and their actions and, and that sort of thing. Um, and I'm trying to think of like a, like a, a non-religious, for example, like if, if you're a good husband, uh, then chances are your, your marriage is not going to be like perfect or anything, but you know, your wife will probably feel loved more often than not. She will at least, if somebody were to ask her, does your husband love you? She will say yes. Um, as opposed to like, if you're, if you're kind of neglectful and then somebody were to, you know, aside, if, if your, if your wife wasn't right next to you and someone would say, does your husband love you? And she says, she would say like, I think so, you know, like, and I know that's a very definitive thing, but it is surprising. <laughs> it is surprising on a recent episode of, uh, never not funny, uh, Paul Reiser, uh, never not funny is a, com- uh, uh, comedy podcast. Uh, Paul Reiser was talking about, he, he was talking to a guy who, uh, had been married like, five times and was about to get married to like his sixth wife and uh and the guy's like you know it's just you know i don't know why uh, my marriages keep uh, keep falling apart and uh, he's like i really hope this one you know i really hope this one goes all the way and then paul riser said well do you love her he's like ah. he's like i think maybe that's the issue I think maybe that's the problem is uh, my guess is that marriage is not going to last long because he's going in with that attitude. Um, and so uh, that's kind of a ra- roundabout way of saying that like when you, when you put energy or effort into something, uh, depending on what that energy is, it will produce something good or something bad. And so in the same way, you look at the fruit of Jesus, and I'm I'm not even at the moment. I'm not even going to talk about the idea of like forgiveness of sins. I will talk purely about the culture uh, of the time, and then you look at Patrick, um, uh, Patrick from uh, the movie. The fruit of his labor was all about him. It was, don't question me, but do have sex with me anytime I want. He would give, you know, he would uh, take away people's, like, identity, um, all for his own gain. Like, and he would just, you know, there is a there is a sequence in the film, I don't necessarily want to ruin it, but it is quite jarring when he and the, the cult, they break into somebody's house to steal some stuff, um, which incidentally should tell you another thing that, uh, that the cult is doing wrong, is they're unable to 
they're unable to sustain themselves, so they have to literally take from other people, and then uh, they they're robbing somebody's house, and then the person catches them and they kill him. Um, you don't run across a lot of that with with Jesus, uh, but when it comes down to it, the 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 consequences of of Jesus uh, being who he was is that he was killed. And then there's the idea of Paul. People say, well, you know, Paul is, you know, Paul was the guy who, who created Christianity and, and all that. Well, he spent a good portion of his life in jail. Um, and so, like, if this was like, this is not, the, the, by the way, I'm not necessarily arguing for, not using this as an argument for Christianity being, like, the, a factual thing I think it is but this is not the argument I would go with for that argument mm. um, but like you know when you have somebody who just made it up um, even if they sort of believe it like if you're going to put them in jail for a good portion of their life or if you're going to take their life that's when you that's when you really I think you find out the nature of their conviction mm-hmm. um, you know it's one thing if it's like okay well people aren't buying what I'm selling and so I guess I'm going to have to get back to work and try to find people to have sex with the old-fashioned way. <laughs> you know, it's quite another if, okay, people are going to, I'm going to get thrown in jail mm. or be killed. You know what? Uh, okay, you got me. Mm. Um, and maybe this is not, uh, maybe it's not uh, the best line of logic, but I do think you, you look at a person's, what, what a person stands to gain personally. Um, and I'll bring up this uh a quote by C.S. Lewis. It's a very uh, quick one. Uh, Love is unselfishly choosing for another's highest good. Um, And that is not unlike the idea of like rejoicing when other people rejoice, like want genuinely wanting somebody else to succeed, to be encouraged to whatever, even if you benefit not at all, even if actually you wind up not like not merely not benefiting, but What's the opposite of benefiting? Mm. Unbenef- unbenefiting. That's what I'm going to call it. Sure. There's a word, I'm sure. Yeah, I know, but I can't think of it right now. But, like, if you wind up actually worse off because somebody else is better off, like, that is true love and selflessness, mm. you know? And this, and incidentally, like, Paul wound up in jail because he was preaching this thing that brought comfort to other people. Jesus wound up dead because he was preaching this thing that brought comfort to other people. Patrick from Martha, Marcy, May Mar- Martha, Marcy, May Marlene wound up having a lot of sex uh, that required nothing of him. And had, uh, you know, sway over the yeah. whole community of people who would do whatever he wanted. Yeah. Like, when it comes right down to it, he benefited more than anybody else in the cult. They might have benefited in the sense that they, they, they were able to say, like, I've found a certain degree of peace. Yeah. But ultimately, anything he wanted, anything selfish that he wanted, they had to, they had to give. That was, part of the, that was part of the rules. Yeah. And so, and that's, that's, I've been talking for a while. Whatever. No, well, that's one of those things that separates Christianity from n- not every religion in this particular way, but from a lot of... Uh, religions or ideologies is that is the focus on servanthood and mm-hmm. you know jesus says the first will be last and the last will be first and um that's and he he acted that out by washing the feet of his disciples mm-hmm. 
and a lot of uh, some other religions and a lot of cults uh, are more based around how how can this benefit the person who's the leader like mm-hmm. what can what can the leader get out of this and um you know you see that by what they do ultimately get out of it yeah and um i think you you could possibly from this also maybe take the uh a lot of people wonder sometimes about um jesus often used to There, there are several times in the Bible when he performs a miracle or, or does something, you know, to help people, but then he tells them not to tell anyone about it. Mm-hmm. And some people find that strange and say, well, why didn't he just want everyone to know if, like, yeah. you know, if, he's, if he wants to help everybody, then why would he not tell anyone? anyone? And uh, I think some interpretations of it are that he, he didn't want to just create a group of a group of followers like he had yeah. he had the disciples but other than that he he doesn't encourage everyone else to just be his yeah. his uh to be his disciples really um he's there to teach people things but he's he wants to teach people things to help them more than he does to you know to create his own little community that will serve him um and it's interesting because, um, you know, Jesus does say, you know, I am the way, the truth, and the life, like nobody comes to the Father except through me. Now, that is a very grandiose statement, you know, and and the whole nature of Christianity is that we want to try and be more like Jesus. Now, someone could say, could look at that and say like, oh, it certainly sounds like Jesus is uh, pretty much up on his high horse. But what's fascinating is that the more you're like Jesus, the more you're going to serve everyone else. Yeah. You know, like – like it's you know what is it uh jesus said you know the the son of was it the son of man or the son of god has nowhere to lay his head or something like I that i think that was the son of man yeah i think so and so he was talking about him like he, he did not benefit really at all from his ministry mm-hmm. um and especially you know what i was talking about to, you know he, he associated with uh, the cultural outcasts and that meant a lot more back then than it does now yeah it meant you really can't take part in society if you're hanging out with lep- uh, lepers and prostitutes yeah you know i mean and tax collectors and tax collectors and and all of the uh, the undesirables um so it meant a lot more socially for him to to do that and so this is what i'm talking about like when it comes to like the fruits like it was all for other people mm-hmm. as opposed to somebody like patrick where it's all for him if somebody else feels good that's great but it's incidental yeah you know and ultimately, it's more important for him to feel good, whether it be physically or emotionally, than for other people to feel good. Mm-hmm. So, uh, anyway, so that was something that I wanted to address, and maybe we spent a little bit too long on it, but I wanted to address somebody's concern with that, is what's the difference between this guy and and, and Jesus? So, um, but yeah, the, the Bible is just very concerned with, and the Bible is concerned with, and thus we should be concerned with, the people that we've been charged uh, with taking care of. Now, it could mean any number of things. It could mean the poor, and we give to you know a charity that our that our church supports, or a charity in general that deals with the poor or the sick or people that just cannot help themselves. It could mean you know we have a friend who is sick or doesn't have a lot of money, and maybe we're in a slightly better position than they are, and we can do something for them. Um, it could mean that there's someone we don't like, but they need something. 
Um, it could just be they need someone to talk to. And oddly enough, you're the only one there. Like it could mean any number of things. It means looking for every opportunity to be there for somebody else and to be self-sacrificing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's be- and and what's interesting because, like I said, there are people that are looking for answers. They they're looking for something to be a part of something that are that's probably bigger than themselves, whether it be a religion or just an idea Mm -hmm. um and if and it's and by the way it's not even really that we are to be there for them so that they will become christian they might not in fact it's entirely possible they won't we still have to be there for them yeah and i think you know jesus prayed for the people that uh were physically hurting him yeah i i think while the Bible does stress that it is very important to, you know, it's it's eternally important to to, to uh, bring others to to understand about Christ and to know to know Christ and, and accept Him. Um, I think the model we get is not for one where that's always the end game, where we're just trying to like, you know, from if I'm nice enough to this guy, then maybe he'll yeah, then maybe he'll convert, and. You know, not to take anything away from the importance of of bringing people to Christianity right. and and uh, you know evangelism, but uh, it, it, in the passage where it says "rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn," it doesn't say and then get then slip the message in right. there, you know, um, because. This could go into a little bit of uh, of uh, Calvinist theology, which maybe I shouldn't go into too much. Okay. But uh, from certain perspectives of Christianity, it, it is God who ultimately will bring someone to him, who will bring someone to, uh, to a knowledge of him and to accept him. Um, I would say, and you know, I'm, I'm not sure if I consider myself a Calvinist, but it is yeah. one of those things. That I do think, like, you know, ultimately, you know, one way or the other, like, I will agree that, like, we will only ever be able to do so much. The person right. will make their own decision. You know, you can never make the decision for them. But also they will make their decision because of the Holy Spirit working on them. Yeah. You know, it might be directly in response to something you say who knows but ultimately it's between them and god and you might have been a facilitator but it's between those two yeah so if if that's the case and it is between them and god um we shouldn't be constantly thinking well i have to i have to convert this person yeah and it's you know like (laughs) i there is an image of like doing something for somebody and just constantly like squinting your eyes to see if there's even the glimmer that they might become a Christian and mm-hmm. then they keep not and then you just throw your hands up it's like well then what's the point even? you know <laughs> why am I being so nice to you yeah because that's the thing is like there's no I mean there are people that Jesus uh, ministered to that did not follow him yeah there's nothing in the Bible that says if you're nice enough to people, then they'll become Christians. Yeah, Jesus never said, "Well, that was a waste of time." <laughs> um, 
you know, we, that's what we're, it's what we're called to do. And it's yeah. not, uh, there's an episode, there, there's, we'll do an episode at some point about a movie that I really love that has to do with uh, this call, uh, called the big kahuna. Did you ever see it? Mm. It's uh, very good. And it, uh, it deals with this, uh, directly. It's got Kevin Spacey and, uh, Danny DeVito. Anyway. Um, yeah. And so what's interesting is that the Bible really has such a heart for the, oppressed the weak the you know what is it uh people of low position and, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing that it really uh it sides with them to the point where like oh man if you are if you are somebody who exploits these people like you're in bad shape like the the bible does not have a lot of sympathy for you mm-hmm. um i'll read a, a couple of things uh here let's see I'll have you read uh, this one. This is Second Peter 2, verses 1 through 3. Um, now, I typed this, la- I think, last night, and it was rather late, so it's entirely possible that there are typos in here. You'd think I would look, but oddly enough, if, if a typo comes about from me typing it, I will not see it. I'm going to be reading through it, and in the middle, suddenly it's going to be like, Hail Satan. That's weird. <laughs> How late were you up? The witching hour. <laughs> I guess so. All right, so yeah, this is Second Peter 2, verses 1 through 3. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. Bring swift destruction on themselves, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into dis- disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with their fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. Okay. So. Some pretty strong words there from. Yeah. uh, Yeah. And here's some more. And this is something Jesus says, which is fun. Uh, Luke 17, verses 1 through 3. Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. But woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be... Oh, see, there's one. Getter. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. I like that last one. So watch yourselves. Yeah. Easy. Um, now, this ha- this more ha- has to do with, like, people, you know, obviously causing people to stumble, but I think uh, false prophets fall into that, especially yeah. when it talks, you know, in Second Peter about, you know... Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. That certainly sounds like uh, causing those people to stumble. And so, like, there, like the Bible does have a very and and God in general and Jesus by His own words. I mean they they don't like equivocate when it comes to people who exploit those that are hurting or weak or vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, it is very clear. Of course, there's, uh, you know, there's, let's see here. Oh, I think I might not have actually included that. Hang on a sec. Sorry, everybody. Yeah, okay. I think there's there's a, a verse that, I looked through a lot of verses and I didn't include all of them, but there was <laughs> basically one that just says, like, you know, if somebody repents, even if some, somebody who's done terrible things like this, if they repent, forgive them. That's the way it works. Yeah. Um. You know, there, there's like we we can forgive, we can forgive other people even if they've preyed upon uh, the weak and that sort of thing. But uh, 
but nonetheless, like it is, it is something very, you know, there is <laughs> harsh consequences um, for for those people. And so, I did want to bring up our companion film at long last, which is a movie that I love called The Manchurian Candidate. Came out in 1962, directed by John Frankenheimer. Who, uh, you know, it's interesting. He's a director that I have long associated with, uh, you know, great action and suspense. Um, and yet, when I looked at his filmography, there's really only a handful of movies that I've seen of his, and I don't even yeah, like really? all, a lot of them. Yeah. Um, he directed a movie called Seven Days in May, which I love. He directed a movie called Black, Black Sunday, which is pretty solid, and he and he made a, a movie in the '90s called Ronin. He made a lot of other movies, but those are uh, like three that I had seen that I remember. Fondly, he mm-hmm. also made the 1996 uh, "The Island of Dr. Moreau," which is not that good of a movie, although it does feature a, an insane performance uh, by Marlon Brando and another one by Val Kilmer. Now that I think about it, but uh, but yeah, so he he made the Manchurian Candidate. It was based on a book by uh, Richard Condon. Uh, it f- I believe it was John F. Kennedy's favorite movie. Really, he saw it and loved it. That is interesting because yes. it was, uh, for those who don't know the history, it was actually banned for years after Kennedy was assassinated. So mm-hmm. he must have. When did it come out? 62. 62. So that was. And he, he was shot in 63. 63. So. January 63? November. November? Was the end of the year? It was in winter, I remember, mm-hmm. but that's all I remember. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so yeah, anyway, um, because it deals with. Uh, Assassination, yeah, and that kind of thing. Yeah. It was a touchy subject yeah. in uh, in the United States. After I don't see that. why. Anyway, uh, well, he made the train too, which I, with Burt Lancaster. It's a pretty good movie. I never saw it. It's got Paul Schofield in it. I like Paul Schofield. I know. Um, so the Manchurian Candidate is kind of a political thriller that is going to sound strange, given what I've just said about really loving the film. There are a lot of ridiculous elements to the movie, almost to a comedic degree. Would you say that's correct? Almost like its level of know. hysteria and paranoia is so high that it's silly, but I don't mind. No, I feel like it's just it's just sort of a heightened tone. So I think you I think you buy that. And like the elements you're talking about for those people who don't know is there's mm-hmm. elements of hypnotism and political in- intrigue to the to a, a pretty extreme degree where they're trying to have someone in their own party murdered in order to get, get another candidate in there basically yeah. and, and get some political leverage so well and it's also about like communist infiltration of the US government and yeah. that's why they want this to happen yeah um, you know, so like it's that type of almost, and I'm not sure if it's doing it ironically. I think it's more just like it made a good thriller. I think it's that. I don't think it's necessarily supposed to be like a, a commentary on a lot of stuff, although there was an argument to be made as there uh, as well there. Um, but uh, this almost kind of McCarthyistic uh, attitude of like, oh, they're there. They're all over the government. And look, look what they're doing here. Um and if I didn't, if the movie wasn't so well made and well acted and well written, I might think it was just silly. Mm. Um, but yeah, there's a, certainly it's a heightened thing, and partially because of the the reason that brings us into uh, the makes of the companion film for this week. Um, so yeah, the story is is very basic. We don't want to go into it too much, but uh, in the I believe Korean War, 
mm-hmm. um, a number of soldiers were uh, captured by the Koreans and they were brainwashed so that uh, if a certain thing and, and hypnotized, pardon me, um, so that, uh, you know, if a certain thing were to happen, then these soldiers would be in the U.S. and they would do the, the communist bidding. Yeah. And so the the one who is uh, – I'm not sure if it's the Manchurian candidate of the title. Um, I'm not sure what makes him so special, uh, but he is the one that is sort of uh, – his character's name is Raymond Shaw. He's played by Lawrence Harvey. Um, he's the one that's sort of elected to carry out the, the biggest uh, directive – Mm-hmm. Uh, and he is supposed to uh, assassinate, uh, a pre- I, th- I, believe, I believe, a presidential candidate. And so so he comes over and he discovers that his handler, his American handler, because, you know, they can't just, the communists can't just send him over here, you know, and not have somebody in control of him, but it also can't be one of their own. It has to be an American. Mm-hmm. And his American handler is his mother. Yeah, uh, and then his mother's uh, husband—not his father, but his his stepfather—his mother's husband is, I think, like the VP candidate, and so Raymond is going to shoot the 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 presidential candidate, so that this guy will probably become, you know, the the chief candidate, and will then probably be elected, and then we have a communist as the president of the United States, and yeah. that sort of thing. So. Um, so there, there's a, a you know a, a, an hysterical quality to it, but also there's the notion that it is his mother, and that mm-hmm. what kind of mother is okay with this? Yeah, um, because it's a fair assumption that Raymond's going to die. Yeah, you know that I mean, you know, if he kills someone, like they're going to realize who did it, and they will kill him. Yeah, and so uh, it made all the more in retrospect. This is made all the more fascinating. By the fact that his mother is played by Angela Lansbury, <laughs> who you might know as, I believe, Jessica from Murder, She Wrote, and Mrs. Mrs. Potts. Potts. <laughs> uh, she was nominated for an Oscar for the film, rightfully yeah. so. It's funny, because in her older age, she played such like a kindly old lady, but when she was younger, she played a lot of crazy, yeah. dangerous person roles like that, or like Gaslight is another one. Have you ever seen Gaslight? Gaslight. She's a... She's... She's like 19 in Gaslight, which is oh, weird wow. to see. But um, yeah, she's not. She's not very old in uh, Manchurian Candidate. In fact, I think she's only a couple years older than the guy playing her son. But they <laughs> they made her up to look a, a little older, and she and she does kind of have an old quality to her, an older yeah. quality to her. Um, and it's a wonderful performance, and it's a it's a wonderful character mm-hmm. as well. That uh, that yeah, she just. Uh, but she, I mean, she is a hated character mm-hmm. i mean you love her but you also like and this this goes into what we we're talking about like you know raymond comes home from the war a damaged person not merely because of the brainwashing but also right. because it's war yeah you know i mean he is somebody that uh you know he's seen some awful things been through a great deal of emotional distress yeah and just trauma and he is somebody who needs who is, while the character is quite emotionally cold, he is still also very vulnerable. Yeah. And he needs comfort. He needs love. Yeah. And the person that by all rights should be the one to give it to him is the person 
who's going to use him. Who's going to use him for yeah. her own. Now, it is noted in the film that she did not, that while she was in league with the, the communists, she did not know that Raymond was going to be the one that they selected uh, to carry this out. So she says, I didn't know it was going to be you. Um, you know, this is probably their way of having leverage over me. Yeah. Um, That's what I was going to say when you were saying, we're not sure why it's him exactly. I think it's, right. I think she says because of that. Yeah. And so, <laughs> but it's worth noting, she doesn't stop, you know, no. like, oh yeah, one could say that like, and, and to a certain extent you watch it and you think like, oh man, wouldn't it be awesome if she redeems herself and decides it's not worth it? You know, it's my son, and we we may never have had a great relationship, but it's my son. Nope. Mm. Uh, spoilers. She just goes. You know, she she regrets that this has to happen, but ultimately, what she wants, which I, admittedly is ideological, so she believes in the in the, the communist cause. Yeah. But what she wants is much more important than not merely her son, but her son who so desperately needs her right now in his yeah. life. Um, and so the the film like takes pleasure in what eventually winds up happening to her and her uh, idiot husband who is <laughs> who stands to benefit a great deal because that's the other thing i mean she does she ideologically she's on board with the communist but it it probably helps that she stands to be probably the first lady of the united states yeah i think if she were going to be if she were going to be destroyed like raymond is going to be then she might not be so keen on the whole idea right you know, if she felt, because that's the thing, she was betrayed by them a little bit when it comes to her son. But if she had been betrayed in the sense that, like, if they said that there's an expectation that she's going to have to give up her own life right. for the if cause, she, if she didn't still have anything to gain from it, yeah, I feel like uh, she wouldn't go through with it. Yeah, um, and so, and that speaks to what we're we're talking about. Like, ultimately, it is about her. Yeah, um, you know, she in theory wants good things for her son, but the minute it conflicts with what she wants mm-hmm. then it that goes right out the window um and so you know in in picking the companion film you know there there are other movies about about cults and about uh you know th- there being a religious quality to uh to this but i i didn't want it to be that i wanted it to be uh something else and so when i when i struck yeah. on this this is uh, you know a character who raymond shaw is a, is a very interesting character because he's not totally likable either in fact i uh, i believe the he's not even really the main character the main character is played by frank sinatra and i believe he even called he even refers to raymond shaw as being just totally unlikable impossible <laughs> to like him um and so you know he's a little cold and he's hard to sympathize with but but he doesn't deserve this treatment yeah. you know and so in this you know in the same way you know martha She's not always likable either. She's but you a difficult do, person. Yeah. And the people that we are called to love and care for, they might not make it easy for us to do that. Yeah. But we're still supposed to. If everybody were easy to love, then everyone would do it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We would feel, you know, if, if everyone's easy to love, then we would all love each other and it'd be very, very difficult <laughs> to uh, exploit one another. Um, yeah. You know, but that's the thing is, you know, we are supposed to... Uh, we are supposed to try to be like Christ, and Christ was somebody who was praying for people, praying for the people that were hammering nails through his wrists and feet. You know, yeah. like th- those are people who, in that moment, are probably unlovable. Yeah, they might be okay guys, but in that moment, 
I, I think it's probably possible to lose some of your perspective and be like, I hate these guys. I wish <laughs> I don't want good things to happen to them. I wish they were dead. <laughs> but then when you think of, uh, you know, if Jesus is God, then he has the power to make those people dead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, you take the person who has the most capability ever to get everything he wants from everyone. Yeah. Um, that's one of the temptations that, uh, that Satan brings to him in the desert. And, um, yet instead he, cho- he chooses to, to serve these people and to, and to love them even when they're unlovable. And, um, the difference between the sort of love that Jesus shows to the people he encounters and, um, the sort of love that Patrick might show because Patrick, and and uh, uh, maybe in a way, Mrs. Island, mm-hmm. um, the kind of love that they're showing is is they believe that they really believe they're loving people, especially Patrick. Patrick believes that he that he loves these people. Yeah, <laughs> he has sex with them. He must love them. Obviously. Um, but Jesus says that love that love is giving up your life for someone. Like, yeah. and he gives up his life for his friend. And um, Patrick is not a character who will even give up uh, ideological power over people. Yeah. He won't not have sex with someone. Yeah. Like that's, that's Well, and, and when, when anyone seems to disagree with him or, or uh, subvert his power at, at all, mm-hmm. um, he flies into a rage and does whatever he can to stop them. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I, I almost, to a certain extent, I, I kind of regret uh, picking this movie because may, now we won't be able to make the same points when we eventually talk about the master. But there's a, there's a lot of other things to talk about with that movie, yeah, so I we'll be all right. Because, it. yeah, I won't say too much about the master now. Yeah, but uh, but I did want to I did want to say, and then we'll we'll probably uh, probably close with this. Um, to go back to Martha Marcy May Marlene and, and to look at her sister. Again, her sister is not perfect, but she does love Martha, mm-hmm. Pro- you know, probably because of, the, of family. Although, as we see from Mrs. Eisland, that doesn't automatically cause you to, no. to love somebody more than yourself. Um, and that's the thing. Love is not uh, this kind of love is not easy, especially because one of the major elements of the film is that. Is that Martha's past with the cult keeps coming up. To the point where, and this is something we didn't really talk much about, but, uh, you know, in the film, you're never totally sure what's happening. You don't know if her past is catching up with her. You don't know totally if you're back at the cult or if you're here. Mm -hmm. You don't know if the cult is even interested in catching up with her. Yeah. Or Um, if they're... Or if they're right outside. Right on our heels. Yeah. And so there's... So this is what... Lucy has to deal with when it comes to loving and taking care of her sister. It's not merely their past, but it's Martha's past that she has to deal with. And so, like, when we when we love somebody, we have to... We're not merely dealing with them in the present. We're dealing with all the baggage that they bring to this, mm-hmm. you know? And so, it's it can seem almost impossible, and we're going to make mistakes yeah. uh, because we're not Jesus. Um, but we, you know... We're, we're called to try and you know when we make mistakes then there will be at the very least forgiveness from god and just and when we fail like you know we can we we're free to say to the person like you know what i didn't 
I'm sorry I said that, or I'm sorry I, I wasn't there for you in this moment. You know, I was just, I was upset, but that doesn't excuse it. You know, like you can be honest with this person and be vulnerable with them. And I feel like that will actually, um, help them to, to trust you and recognize that you're in this, uh, you know, for the long haul. Um, and so I guess that's ultimately the thing is, is we, we look at, uh, movies like Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene, and we think, you know, what could, you know, what could have been done to prevent this? And sometimes, you know, sometimes nothing. It's just the way, it's just the way it happens. But as far as what we can do with, and it's not like the people we know are always in danger of, uh, of joining a cult, but (laughs) you know, there, we're constantly being influenced by, uh, a culture that emphasizes selfishness and, and a culture that, that says get what you can out of people and then move on and so mm-hmm. this person so whoever we're talking to could very much fall prey to that yeah and so our whether it's a cult or not and so our job is to show them another way either directly by saying this is christianity and let me explain it to you or indirectly just through our actions through and through our own love of and forgiveness and grace of them and our own willingness to uh to admit our own fault and Mm -hmm. and that sort of thing because you know this is all we're also in a culture where it's just defend yourself constantly you're you've not you you've only done something wrong if you admit it yeah (laughs) so um so yeah i mean ultimately it just comes down to as as it so often does with christianity just comes down to loving somebody more than you think it is possible to love them Mm -hmm. even when they give you no reason to yeah so which I know some people might hear that and say, you know, you sound like a sucker. Yeah. So. And um, the wisdom of God will look like foolishness to the world. So there's that. There is that. I agree with you. All right. Well, I think I think we're done. I did want to. Uh, I won't go through everything, but I did want to uh, say once again, you can go to uh, podcastwards.com and vote for more than one lesson. Uh, you can see. The most recent episode of uh, The Unemployed Mind um, at morethanonelesson.com. There's a couple new uh, articles that you can read there and uh, subscribe to our monthly newsletter. I did also want to say that uh, I'm going to be out of town for a week. uh, And as such, uh, the next episode will not be exactly two weeks after this one. Uh, Instead, it will be, I think, Thursday the 29th. Uh, possibly, I'm not totally sure, but uh, it will be about Spike Jones, where the wild things are. So, if you wanted to prepare for that, uh, you know, go and watch that movie. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Uh, thanks, Josh, for being here. Thank you, and thank you guys for listening. And I'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.